Hello and welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Sarah Hinckley Kennington, who is the founder and partner of 34 Commercial and chair of the Associate Leadership Council Class of 2021. ALC is Trek's premier leadership development program through which emerging commercial real estate executives are educated on various aspects of business and civic life here in Dallas. They also receive personalized executive training from the Rose Porterfield Group and complete a community service project. Sarah joins us to preview this year's class, which held its opening reception last week, and reminisce about her experiences as a member of the class of 2011. She also shares some excellent insights about her career path and starting her own firm, and offers advice to those looking to go into business for themselves. I seem to say this before every episode, but this was a really great conversation that I'm so excited to share with all of you, especially during Women's History Month and on International Women's Day. So with that, here's Sarah Hinckley-Kennington of 34 Commercial, right here on TrackCast. We're joined now by Sarah Hinckley-Kennington, founder and partner at 34 Commercial, and chair of the Associate Leadership Council Class of 2021. Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you doing this morning? Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, Great. It's a beautiful day. Good day to be in Texas, especially given the news yesterday. So everything's good over in in my world. Great. Excellent. Um, I've spoken with a few former ALC grads who've gone on to chair the program in the last few years, and they've talked about how special the experience is. What does it feel like for you as a member of the class of 2011 to now get to take the reins of the class of 2021? It's like, like you said, from other past leaders, it's a really special, it was a really special time in my life. So it's kind of funny that now a decade later, I get to lead it. I, I didn't ever know that I would, but as I've seen now, I'm the third person from my class to have um, go on and take the chair position. So this is kind of my last hurrah. ALC was a really important program and time in my life. So I've been involved every year since, whether I was on um, someone's committee for the steering committee, then the steering committee, then vice chair, now chair. So this is my final push and I'll have to say goodbye. I'm sure Trek will wrote me in other ways to volunteer, but um, I'm hoping to make the best of it because this is my final, my final year with ALC. Absolutely. I'm sure there's, there's another uh, place, place for you within the organization going forward. Why do you think so many ALC alums ultimately come back to chair the program? Is that like, is there a, a feeling of obligation there? Is there a, you know, just an excitement? What do you think it is that, that brings people back? It's certainly not an obligation. It's more of, um, you know, paying it forward, something that gave me so much in my life. I want to give it for other people. Um, Selfishly, it's also a wonderful way to meet the upcoming leaders. I have met so many all-stars in this business through AALC. Um, It's funny when people say, well, how do you know this person, this person? Oftentimes, it's through AALC. Because once you kind of get established in your career, you stay in your your lane and you're kind of surrounded by the same people um, kind of day in and day out. But ALC is a great way to meet people. Uh, So for me, it was more of just giving back to a program that really changed my life and absolutely my career. What was it like to be a part of that class of 2011? What, 
what memories do you have of that experience? I have a, um, a lot. I was thinking about when we were prepping for this call, what I could share and what my class, my classmates would uh, be angry with me about sharing. But um, we were coming out, uh, so we were the 2010, 2011 class. So this was before we changed everything to being one calendar year. So we were coming off a really hard time. Um, we were just got past 08 and 09. So there was kind of this sense of uh, resurgence in the, in the market. So we had a really all-star, I mean, if you look at who was in my class, we've got, you know, now the CFO of Granite, and I think four or five companies have emerged from our class, from people starting their own company like, like myself, um, you know, a CEO of the company. So we've got really, really strong leaders. But for me, the takeaway was just so eye-opening about the city, things that I would have never had access to or learned about, especially not being from here. So other than we had a really good time together, this was kind of before everybody was, well, we've had some married, but there's a lot of marriages, a lot of babies after our class. So we had the opportunity to spend a lot of fun time together. Um, and we do still try to get together every so often. It's harder now as people get busier, but we have kind of a core, core of our class that still tries to get together. And we all um, still refer business to, to each other and really try to help one another out. That's great. I've, I've actually heard that from a number of, of ALC alums from throughout the years that, you know, there's still this, this desire to get together and, and check in on one another and, um, of course, do business together. Um, I'm fascinated by ALC program content because you have all these different aspects of civic life, like you alluded to, that, that intersect to ultimately reveal this bigger picture uh, to how cities like Dallas operate. What, what would you say is your like lasting takeaway, uh, the most important thing you learn by, by participating? Is, is there anything that stays with you now, a decade later, and, and about to step into the, the chair position? Yeah, so the way that they lay it out is, uh, they, you know, there's a lot of time and effort from the truck staff on, and then the steering committee on how we plan the days. But you know, it starts out with this big uh, push on the history of Dallas, how we got here, while Dallas was even on the map, we've always had really esteemed um, speakers that give the history. We, uh, my class, we had John Scoville, who's obviously an industry leader, and then now um, our truck chairman, Mike Avalon's taking the reins and kind of giving the overview. So we start with the history, then we get in the weeds on, you know, what it means to be a leader, the infrastructure of the city, the education, the governance, um, the health of the city. Now we're starting an art, um, it was always art, but now we're starting culture, culture and we end on community impact. So just like you go in school and you learn you know, sections of history or math, and then when you're out of it, it all comes together to kind of make you a whole person to go in the workforce. The same is with ALC. You're given tools um, to become a better leader with the executive coaching, but you end on how that you can impact your city, which is you know, what Trump's mission is. Uh, so that's how I came away with it. There were so many things that I never would have been exposed to. For instance, uh, we went and visited St. Phillips, and obviously St. Phillips is part of the Trek Catalyst Project. If you haven't visited and seen what Dr. Flowers is personally doing for these children, it was just so eye-opening. And now, you know, eight years later, I was invited to be on the board. I think I'm on my, my third term there. So the ALC experience, I feel like, is your entree into how you not only can impact your personal career, but you can impact the city using your skill set, whether you're an architect, attorney, construction manager, 
broker like I am, whatever your, you know, your God-given talents are and that's your career path, there is a way in the city that you can make a difference. And um, when it, you know, the ex-ALC, kind of, I don't know, the ex-ALC people um, unite, there's a lot of, there's a lot of impact that you can make. Application season for the class in 2021 has now ended. Uh, the class has been selected and the year mm -hmm. is about to begin. We're actually yeah. recording this just prior to the chairman's reception, which lets our class members meet each other and, and find out their first you know, program assignments. What has been your initial impressions of this year's class as you've gotten to meet them? Well, I'm personally super proud of the class that Stephanie and I and the steering committee selected. Um, to be honest, I was concerned. You know, I committed to this in 2018, knowing 19 and 20, I would be the vice chair. And then 2021, which now turned into 21, you know, after coming off the pandemic, I was concerned that companies wouldn't support the program due to the expense or time commitment because we all came off of really tough 2020. But we had a really strong applicant pool. All the big nationals still stepped up because um, usually, I hate to say, it, but they're kind of the first to cut budget. Um, sure. We've had just a, we had a, um, in my tenure history, a really diverse applicant pool in terms of um, gender and race. So we're proud of that. And uh, we actually have over a third of our, of our class is female. And I think the last time that that happened was maybe 2015 or 16. Um, there, I remember a, a, a class with a lot of strong females. So I'm excited. We're, we're now, right, there's this time period when the class gets selected and they don't know each other and then they all start getting together and the relationship form. We're at that really exciting time period. So I reminded the class, like, remember this feeling as we go through the year because it is a 10-month program and our labs are busy, we've got clients, projects, whatever it is. So I'm like, hold this feeling with you because there will be, you know, there might be a sense of burnout halfway through, but you're going to miss it when it's over. Um, so I, as chair, I'm just excited to see who's going to step up, who's going to sell the most raffle tickets, who's going to lead our project, you know, who's going to be kind of the social chair, and all those personalities and friendships are just about to form. So um, tomorrow is our chairman's reception, and then we're having a kind of impromptu outdoor get-together next Wednesday, and that'll be the first time all together um, because we, we were virtual for the open house. Um, so I think I'm just excited to see how that all takes shape. You had mentioned earlier that you aren't a Dallas native and I'm not a Dallas native either. Uh, and I'm always excited to meet other people who aren't from Dallas originally um, because everybody has such a, a great story of how they got to Texas. Um, what brought you to the Lone Star State and how did you ultimately end up in commercial real estate? How long is this called podcast? <laughs> uh, this, it's a crazy answer. Um, so if you want the full, full answer, because um, it is kind of a neat story for anyone that's trying to find their footing here, because Dallas, I think, is such a, a can-do and welcoming city. So I grew up in Dublin, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus. And um, I, I say this not to slight Ohio or where I grew up, but the versions of success there aren't what we see here. It's more doctor, lawyer. My dad was an endodontist. In fact, my 
two out of my three siblings are are endodontists now and they're all oh, wow. sort of work, work together so i just had this vision of, of a lifestyle that i went on and i thought i was going to be a doctor 100 percent. you know went to I had a high school version of ALC and it was um, this young professionals where we left at noon and went and worked in the field and I worked in the, the medical field and shadowed a cardiologist. Uh, anyways, went to Miami University pre-med, thought that was my only path and completely bombed out of the weed out course. Um, it was my first kind of failure in life and um, didn't know what I was going to do. I remember crying on the phone to my mom saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, you don't have to be a doctor. And that was the first time I thought I could do something else with my life. So to make a long story short, I went, I uh, was applying for the business school and I started working for our sports marketing department at Miami University. I went to school with uh, Ben Roethlisberger and Wally Zerbiak. So Miami's oh, wow. not known. Yeah, they're not known as a big powerhouse in sports, but I, when I went there, we were, you know, winning the MAC and everything. So, um, the Cincinnati Bengals came on our campus and recruited uh, those that were kind of focused in on sports marketing. And I thought I was getting this amazing job with the NFL. Uh, me and I think five others from Miami went and interned with them. And we sold individual tickets for the Cincinnati Bengals in a room all summer long in the stadium with no windows. So and this also, the Cincinnati Bengals were horrible. They won, I think, one game. The, the, so I would call and you know say, "This is Sarah Hinkley with the Cincinnati Bengals," and people would just laugh and say, hey, "What are you doing?" You know. So I decided from there um, that I wanted to live. Um, I wanted to keep with sports, so I I wanted to live on the beach and work for a team that was in season because we didn't get to the benefit of working for the team in season. Once my position, when I went back to school, obviously the season started. So I went to the, one of our baseball players played at, uh, in the Cape Cod League. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So for, if anyone, for the listeners, it's, it's the college baseball players that um, want to get drafted. They play in a summer league because they play with wood bats like they do in the pros, but in college they play with aluminum bats. And I did, um, I went up there, took my best friend with me. We did, I did marketing and, uh, uh, just and I wrote press releases for the East League of, of the league. And during the day, I was a nanny who owned a company here in Dallas. They actually live in South Lake. And at the end of the summer, they said, Can I, um, will, will you come back next summer and be our nanny? And I said, I can't. I've got to start my life and get a, you know, a real job. Sure. And they're like, Well, why don't, you know, why don't you come to Dallas? And so I had never stepped foot in Texas. I um, graduated, moved here, didn't know anybody, worked for their, um, company, helped them out with their children, moved back to the league. And after that last summer, so that was the summer. So I moved here in January of 03, spent one more summer in Cape Cod. And at the end of that, I determined I didn't want to work in sports just because of the hours and the pay. And, and I moved here without a job um, and didn't know, again, still know anyone, signed a lease in Uptown. And I got great advice from this gentleman that used to run investment sales at Colliers. He now lives in Denver, but he said, um, if you can sell one thing, you can sell anything. So I got a, um, a sales position at Exo Communications and I did really well there. I always met my quota and you know went on their national trips, but I didn't really enjoy the industry. The, the IT people weren't my people. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I knew 
from that, that I wanted to do two things. I wanted to kind of be in control of my own destiny because the way we were structured, it was a salesperson and then our manager, then the regional manager. So even though our production was what made everything work, there was, you know, there was layers. Um, so I kind of wanted to just have wide open pastures to just create my own debate. And, and I wanted to be a rainmaker. I wanted to kind of negotiate for a living because I, I really enjoyed that aspect. And so I thought that's what attorneys did. And um, for all the attorneys listening, I didn't, you do do that sometimes, but I do not have <laughs> a, I do not have the still set of an attorney, but I took the LSAT, uh, applied locally and kind of uh, all over the nation, not wanting to leave Dallas. I would have had to go back home to go to law school. And I kind of got cold feet about leaving Dallas, especially leaving Texas, because one, one winter away, I was like, I'm not going back to winter. Um, <laughs> and so I was deciding about law school, but I, I used to call on brokers that were, you know, leasing or tenant rep, and they would tell me who te which tenant they put in which building, and then I would call the tenant for, you know, IT services, and that's how I, that was my first experience with commercial real estate. I, I knew nothing about it, and one of them said, you know, you'd be really good at this. You should consider it, so after not getting into, you know, SMU for, for law school, I was at a crew event because I was kind of dipping my toe in the water and I was talking to a commercial real estate attorney kind of saying, you know, I'm thinking about maybe going to a brokerage, but I, I really, I'm considering law school. And, and she said to me, if I did it over again, I would just go be a broker. And that was kind of like the, my deciding factor. And I took a, I took a position with a really small firm and, you know, no, no salary, no draw, no insurance, no co-star, no mentoring. It was just kind of like, get your license and go figure it out. So that's how I started. And quickly I realized I needed to be with a bigger firm. And then my career kind of went from there. And um, here I am. Gosh, that's been almost 20 years later. So it's a, it's a wild story, but it's. Yeah, that is pretty it's incredible. definitely my destiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting that you bring up the sports angle. <clears throat> and there are so many. As you were as you were saying that, so many light bulbs going off. Like I'm from Long Island originally, so we know Wally Zerbiak really well. Uh, okay, he used yeah. to be he used to be the all time leading high school scorer on Long Island. I don't mm -hmm. think he is anymore. Oh. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but in doing uh, some research um, on your background coming into this conversation, I noticed that you say one of your favorite athletes growing up was Charles Barkley. And that you wore the number thirty-four uh, in in sports like he did, and that the thirty-four commercial name is partly inspired by Sir Charles Barkley. Um, what I'm curious about is of of the sort of '90s NBA pantheon. Why Barkley? Because he's a very peculiar, very specific kind of pick. What did you like about him, and and what have you kind of taken from his career and how he you know, how he handled himself and handled things. Why, why Charles Barkley? So it's, it's, isn't, it's so random, isn't it? I mean, I was that nine-year-old girl. And I, was, I was just obsessed with the NBA. And I remember staying up late and watching Jordan 3 Um So the NBA at that time was Jordan, Pippen, you know, Alverson, Barkley. My brother loved Dominique Wilkins. I just loved Charles Barkley. I think he was a little bit controversial. I loved his tenacity. 
Um, he was a hustler. He wasn't, you know, your prototypical, this is what an NBA player looked like. He was a little bit overweight, and, but he had a, a fierce personality. And, um, you know, he created, he, he kind of changed how people viewed how you have to look at um, a player. So Definitely. I was, yeah, I, I adopted number 34. I think I liked the sequential of it, you know, the three and the four and the look of it. And 34 was always, always my number. Um, I, I wore it on my basketball jersey and soccer, even though you're supposed to wear single digits. And then as social media came out later in life, my usernames or my handles were always Sarah Hinkley 34, something 34, every password. So the way the 34 rolled into it was, um, I was, I went to Africa actually with my former colleagues at Peloton, Peloton that was purchased by JLL, and we went on a mission trip. Um, I was 33 at the time, and I had never been baptized because when we were really young, um, my brother and I, we lived in Japan. My dad was in the Navy to pay for his dental school, so it just never really happened. So when I came back, I decided to join a, join a church, and I met with um, the pastor, which was uh, Paul Rasmussen. He said, have you been baptized? And I said, no. He said, well, we can do it two ways. We can do it privately or we can do it publicly in, in sanctuary. And I said, you know, I think I want to do it um, publicly. So it was a, a, we're coming off the heels of an ice storm. It was the ice storm of 2013. I was two weeks into being 34. And it was just kind of this moment for me where everything kind of opened up. Um, after that, I read The Purpose Driven Life. And understood okay you know i'm here for a reason i'm like i said earlier with your skill set you're supposed to you know your purpose is not just volunteering in a homeless shelter your purpose is to use your skill set to influence others and then to be a kind person and that's kind of that was kind of the meaning of it um and on that same year i was asked to start peloton houston and this was right before kind of Houston took a little bit of a nosedive with oil and gas. And it, um, it just lit this flame in me uh, of, of leading and, and, and really being like one of the first female um, leaders to go and start something. So long story short, that didn't work out mostly because of the timing of the Houston market. And it actually coincides with ALC. So rewind to the 2014 ALC chairman's reception. Um, a few of us went and had a drink um, nearby afterward. And I was kind of saying my dilemma, of like, oh, I don't know if I should move to Dallas or move to Houston. And one of the gentlemen goes, I don't know. I don't think you should be, you're so Dallas. And I go, you're right. I should just, I should just start my own company here. And he's like, that's exactly what you should do. That was the first time I ever thought about that. And, and I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it without watching, you know, TD and Joel, who started Peloton. I, I sat in between them and watched them every day. So they gave me the skill set to do it. So when I decided that this was time to start my company, I mean, I picking a name for a company is challenging. You know, it could have easily been Hinkley Commercial or, you know, pick a Latin word and, you know, make it catchy. <laughs> but when, sure. when, when 34, I remember I was with a friend, I said, what about 34 Commercial? I like the sound of that. And I, so for me, when I picked it, um, 34 was when it was, when I realized God's plan for me, all these little pieces and everything the universe was hoping, opening up for. So 34 basically just means trusting the plan. Like if you show up and you do the work and you say, here's where I want to go, but also let things evolve 
without pushing too hard, that's when the magic happens. So 34, that's the story behind it. And that's why we picked it. And then what's funny is that everybody that has since joined me and in my efforts have had their 34 moments. So if you looked at um, the website, it literally is this like, it's almost, it'll give you chills how it happened. You know, when I, my, for instance, my director of marketing you know, just had a baby and she was overworked and she was telling her husband, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I need to work in an environment that's really supportive of having a child. You know, I wish Sarah, you know, would do something. And then I called her the next day and, <laughs> and she quit. So it just, for us, it's this, um, it's just this coming together and, and, and a belief in a higher power, whatever, whatever their belief is, if it's, you know, Jesus or the universe or whatever, it's just kind of following, following the universe and the, and the plan. So all that was derived from Charles Parker. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, that's an incredible story. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, kind of along those same lines, is there any sort of, I mean, I guess aside from from the naming, is is there any kind of business philosophy or maybe a few key pieces of advice that you followed during your career that have sort of helped guide you in in not only you know taking off in your real estate career but but starting up your own company? Yeah. Uh, also, I have a, a, a lot of that. Um, I, I'm a big believer in paying it forward, especially because um, I was kind of a nobody, didn't have any roots in Texas or, or relationships. So I'm a big component of helping people out. Um, our company has a give back policy. That's, that's monetary. We just give, we've all committed to give at least 3.4% of profits, whether it's in those commissions or salary or however, back to their cause. Um, but I think that would be the biggest thing for me when I stopped, especially when you start a company, because when you start a company, it's, it's, I no longer worry about myself i always worry about everyone else you know is, is, is bryce learning is bryce making enough money is, does bryce feel fulfilled um so i think the earlier in your career that you can not worry about if you're going to make it and definitely don't tie too many i know we all need to make money but just kind of surrender that's that's when things come a little bit easier for you um whatever profession you're in that's associated with real estate you know, I know architects go to school to be um, architects and they've got professional schooling, but your 20s are, are, are an extension of your learning. Just like I always tell people, if, if you were getting surgery, um, would you want the 50-year-old surgeon that's done this a million times or the, the really the all-star that just came out of school? You know, you'd probably want you know, the, the person with experience. So keeping your head down and trusting that experience will come and um, you know, advancements will also become, come is like, is key, but patience is a virtue. They say that for a reason and it's challenging, especially when things get hard, like they did last year, but just trusting that the highs will even out with lows and the lows will end on a high, um, just kind of trusting the process and that if you show up every day and, and work hard, and you're honest and ethical, good things will come. What has been the most challenging part of going into business for yourself? And what kind of advice would you give to folks that might also be looking to take that, that sort of leap? Well, um, 
the hardest part is just the the never-ending nature of it um the uh, if you have a if you're in a, in a, a salaried employee or even if you're previously if i'm like okay i've checked everything off my to-do list i'm gonna go play golf this afternoon or whatever i'm gonna go home and play with my kids for me it's never ending because it's accounting it's payroll it's the need for growth it's transacting um so i've had to kind of show myself grace and then because i'm not the person that can go to sleep if i haven't gotten everything completed so i try really hard to just say this isn't like you know siloing emergencies versus um you know like pay, like processing payroll is always number one people need to get paid uh sure. <laughs> you know, like if you forget that, you're not going to have many people that work with you much longer. But, yeah. you know, um, different things that, that don't have to be done immediately and saying, okay, I promise that I will get to this in, in, in three weeks. Um, I, I promise I will do it, but it's, I've got these other emergent things. So that's the, that's the, I thrive on that. So I really like it, but it's also, it's also exhausting. Um, but my advice would, for someone, is you know you first have to go prove that you can do it so you know starting a company maybe at 25 there will it's a little bit harder because you're still learning the trade but you know starting like i was 37 when i left my former position actually i just turned 38 so i'd had 16 years of experience and so it wasn't like i was like leaving my job to go build widgets, which I don't know anything about. Um, so I was just kind of continuing what I was previously doing just under a different umbrella. So that, that makes things a, a little bit easier because you still have trust in some of you know, your clients or whoever, or prospective clients. But I guess the biggest thing is that if you can't, if you can't settle that feeling of wanting to go start something, then you got to do it. That was my, I had a ton of fear because right when you decide that you want to do something, your, you will, fear will tell you a million different reasons why you shouldn't do it. Um, it's always like, oh, you know, just, I, I could list my 30 fears that I had about it, but slowly just overcoming them um, because I, my, what was it, my conundrum was either face my fears or live my life with regret. And I couldn't do the regret part. So I had to, I had to try. And um, it was actually one of my ALC classmates said to me, because he's always encouraging me to go on my own. He's like, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Oh, I fail. I was like, okay, let's, let's talk about it. You fail, what will you do? Well, I'll go get a job. Like, exactly, you can go get a job. So that, once you put it like that, then it, the fear lessens and then it turns into excitement. Because as soon as you take the plunge, it's almost like skydiving. You're like, oh, you know, this is, this, I got all this fear and now I'm on the other side of it. So um, if you're thinking about it and you can call me, I can give you advice. But if you can't rest without doing it, then it means that you need to do it. Because your intuition comes through that, that gut feeling. And I was like, I had it for so many years. Had it for three years that finally I said, okay, it's not it's time. Trek often uses this idea of build the city you've imagined. You know, it's our tagline. And it's it's really supposed to be a challenge to our members and our partners in the community to leave a positive lasting mark on Dallas. What does that expression mean to you? What what kind of city 
you know, throughout all the experiences that you've had, um, all the time you spent with Trek, what kind of city do you ultimately imagine? Well, that's what I love about Trek. And that's what I honestly love about Dallas. Um, I honestly don't know if I could, I'd be in the same position if I had moved to Chicago or New York. I think it's much more challenging to, to, to build something and then, you know, start your own, start your own business. But that's the, the vibe of Dallas. It's almost like wildcatters. It's, there's no impossible. It's just more of how would we get that done? So, you know, take the Clyde Warren uh, Park, for example. When that idea was first floated around, you're like, I'm just going to put a park over a freeway. And now it's, you know, the biggest attraction in the city. And I lived on the park for 16 months. It's, it's diverse. It brings in from all, it's the one unifier, I think, over North Park, sadly, over our mall of the city. So that's, I guess there's really no limiting, especially with, with um, the real estate company, because, or real estate council, the people that are involved in this, um, and the, the more people that are committed are the brightest and the, the biggest leaders of our industry. So when you get that kind of brain power and that kind of optimism together, there's no stopping. I mean, we can do whatever. So, uh, I mean, I've read that Dallas will be the third largest city in the next seven to 10 years nationally. Well, large isn't exactly what we need. We need, you know, somebody that's, that's, that lays out well, but, you know, we're not, we don't have zoning issues, traffic issues, that we're culturally diverse, that we've got, you know, affordable, affordable housing. And um, because of the mindset of people like Trek, there's really no obstacles that we can't overcome. Because of this, it's almost like this private um, public partnership along with, the, with uh, the support of the city, there's no obstacles. So I think we'll see continue to grow. We really do need to push south. That's one thing I would like to see is, um, you know, the growth north is fantastic, but we just, we have to grow south as well. Um, and we need to bring more than just, you know, what they say as blue collar jobs, like industrial type jobs. We need to have professional services down south as well. But that's what I, the energy here, I think is unparalleled. And because we're in Texas, you know, we've got a great um, governing, governing body behind um, this can-do attitude. I think Dallas will become even more and more attractive over the next couple decades. Sarah, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me this morning. Best of luck uh, to you in the class of 2021 this year. Thank you. I'm excited for us to pick the project and see how they will impact um, the city in that regard. But it'll be a fun year. Thank you for having me. That's all for today. I'd like to thank our guest, Sarah Hinckley-Kennington, for taking the time to chat with me about the ALC class of 2021. Before we go, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already, and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates from around the Real Estate Council. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.